Well, good evening. A few weeks ago, um, Doug Pope had asked me. He was originally scheduled to preach through the book of Joel, and he asked if I could switch weeks, and we could do Amos and Joel in switched places uh, a little bit out of order. We asked Womble if that would be okay. He agreed. Uh, and it also makes sense due to the nature of the book of Amos and some of the things that we're going to talk about tonight uh, to follow Hosea with the book of Amos. But when the bulletin came out this morning, Doug came to me and said, uh-oh, it says Joel, and if I'm supposed to preach tonight, I'm in trouble because I've got a family event. And I said, well, Doug, if I'm supposed to preach on the book of Joel, we're all in trouble. <laughs> so I apologize for the confusion and uh, where we, we, we got some miscommunication, but we are in the book of Amos tonight. Now, Amos is a is a, a very interesting book. It's a very good book, and I'm really it's been a huge blessing uh, for me just to spend time studying through the book of Amos and learning about the book of Amos. And I hope that it is a blessing uh, to you as well to to hear uh, from the the prophet Amos. I really love Christmas time. Uh, there's so much good things that come with the holiday season. Uh, there are so many good traditions and, and, and cultural customs that we have, and I love the, the, the lights and the trees and the celebration. Uh, but one thing I think everyone enjoys and everyone appreciates is, is a good Christmas movie, right? I think all of us probably have a favorite Christmas movie that we watched growing up. So for me and my, my, my family and my parents, uh, we would always watch the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Right? We'd watch it every single year. It's always my mom's favorite. It's a great movie. Um, but one of my favorite Christmas movies, and some people say it's not a Christmas movie, but they're wrong. One of my favorite Christmas movies is Die Hard, right? <laughs> and Die Hard is about this New York cop, and he's just an ordinary guy, just an ordinary cop. But something happens where there's this terrorist attack in this building at a Christmas party. And there's this terrorist attack. And this ordinary guy has to step up and do extraordinary things. And if you watch the movie, which I'd encourage you all of you to do, it's a great movie, great Christmas movie. But you see John McClane, this, this ordinary, everyday, average New York cop, step up and do extraordinary things because that was what the situation was demanded of him. When you read the book of Amos, you see a very ordinary guy. Amos wasn't turning heads in Judah when he walked by. Amos wasn't, wasn't flashing his, his political might he wasn't flashing his intelligence. He wasn't impressing anybody with his occupation. Amos was a, was a shepherd. He stood out in the field. And he was an ordinary guy. And God used this ordinary man, Amos, to deliver an extraordinary message with an extraordinary purpose. The book of Amos is the book of a very ordinary man who shares a very extraordinary message and has an extraordinary purpose. So what do we know about Amos? We know that he was ordinary. We know that he was, he was a shepherd. But we also know that he was a man of conviction. 
and when the time demanded for him to step up and hold fast and speak the truth of God and stand against his enemies, God gave him the courage to do so. See, last week, Josh Womble talked about Hosea, and Hosea is written to the, the kingdom of Israel, right? So this is a time when, when, when uh, the, the 12 tribes of Israel are divided. So there's the 10 tribes uh, in, in the north in, in, in Israel, and then there's the two tribes of Judah, and there's a split kingdom. And Hosea, Hosea was, was from Israel, and he was writing and prophesying to Israel. But Amos, Amos is from Judah to prophesy against and speak pronunciations against, pronouncements against Israel. This was a time when, when the kingdoms were divided. The southern kingdom and the northern kingdom were, were divided. And Amos, Amos is from Judah, but he's speaking to Israel. The book is written to Israel. And so he's traveling from Judah to Israel to speak his message. Now, this is, this is important. This is an important thing to remember in the book because, because Israel and Judah weren't exactly on, on great terms. It's only about 20 years prior to this, Israel had attacked Judah and they had ransacked Jerusalem and they had destroyed the northern wall. They made a mar- the, 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 the northern kingdom made a march into Jerusalem and destroyed the northern wall, right? This happened 20 years prior to Amos writing. And, and so much of that, um, and, and so much of that, that, that hate and, and, and division still lingers when, when Amos is writing. So when he's writing, he's viewed not just as someone speaking out against Israel, but he's viewed as an outsider, someone from another kingdom, right? And not just another kingdom, but the, the kingdom of Israel, they view Judah as a lesser kingdom, right? If you remember, Israel is described as this great cedar of Lebanon. And Judah is described as this small little thistle that, that, that can't even compare to the great cedar, the great cedar tree. And so Amos is coming from the kingdom that is thought of as a, as a lesser kingdom. But God uses him to speak out against Israel. And when Amos goes to Israel, when he goes and brings his message, this is a time in Israel's history when things are, gro- are going really well, right? Israel's armies are, are growing. Israel's uh, political power is really, is really growing. Their borders are being expanded. And Israel's probably thinking, hey, we're clearly doing something really right. And Israel's thinking, we're, we're clearly doing something right because we're in a time of, of economic prosperity. Our economy's great. Our, our military's strong. Our enemies are weak right now. And Israel's thinking that they have done something really, really good. But here's the problem is Israel has not done something really good. They have actually done something really bad. They have turned from God. They have... Uh, they have been unfaithful to the covenant they have made with God. And so despite all of these good things happening around them, despite the good economy, the strong military, and their borders expanding, Amos gives a warning against Israel, saying things actually aren't as good as you think they are. 
Things are actually much, much worse than you think they are. Because see, Israel had begun to put their, their trust in their own power, in their own might. And they have lost their trust and lost their faith in God. The book of Amos can be divided into three main sections. Now, the first section is, is chapters one and two. And in, and in chapters one and two, Amos gives a message to the nations. So the first section is, is Amos' message to the nations. And in this section, Amos gives a message to, to seven surrounding nations, seven nations that surround Israel. And the second section is chapter three and six, three through six. And this is where Amos turns his message against Israel. And Amos pronounces judgment on Israel and its leaders. And then in the third section, the final section is chapter seven through nine, and that's Amos's visions of the destruction of Israel, right? So Amos has visions of the destruction of Israel. The first, the first section, Amos chapters one and two, Amos begins his message to Israel by declaring God's judgment against the surrounding nations. And at, and at first glance, this, this message against the nations seems strange, right? After all, Amos went to pronounce judgment on Israel. Amos said he's leaving his, his field and going and traveling to Israel to, to proclaim judgment against Israel. And when he gets there, he begins by talking about all these other nations. He brings seven pronouncements against seven nations. He accuses the nations of injustice. He accuses them of idolatry. He accuses them of of, of worshiping gods that are wicked. And if you look on a map at the seven nations that, that, that Amos pronounces judgment on, he's, it's almost as if he's circling Israel, right? He's circling Israel. He's pronouncing a judgment on each of their neighbors, on uh, each of Israel's neighbors at every corner. And he's creating a circle around Israel. And I think there's several reasons why, why Amos does this. And like I said, it's a kind of a strange way for him to start his, for him to start this book, for him to start his pronouncement of judgment. Because he doesn't come and just pronounce judgment on Israel. He comes and pronounces judgment on the seven surrounding nations. And I think there's four, four main reasons that Amos does this. The one, it draws Israel into the conversation and catches their attention. Right? If you study through Israel's history, and particularly Israel's history with its surrounding neighbors, the relationship isn't, isn't always amicable. Right? Israel often has a, a, a difficult or conflict-oriented relationship with its neighbors. And think about who here has you know, a sibling, older sibling, younger sibling, uh, any kind of sibling. I would imagine that you've probably, growing up, had, had some conflict with your siblings. When you have conflict with your siblings and you hear your parents start to, to correct what your siblings are doing, it's a good feeling. It's like, okay, I'm hearing all about the wrong that they're doing. That means I'm in the clear, right? I'm, I'm out of the crosshairs. 
And I'm like, finally, it's about time somebody, somebody's seeing all the wrong that, that you know, my siblings are doing. I've been seeing this my whole life. It's about time my parents have caught on. I think, uh, by and large, that's what, what Amos is, is, is pulling at, right? Israel is, is, is hearing this. They're hearing the message against their neighbors, and they're saying, okay, yeah, it's about time God recognizes all of the evil and all of the wickedness that our neighbors have been doing. We've been, we've been dealing with this our whole history. We've been dealing with this our whole lives. We've been watching the, the injustice and idolatry that, that they've been living in, and Israel begins to agree I think that's the second purpose is that it, it, it tricks, Amos almost tricks Israel into agreeing that God is a God who should bring judgment against the unrighteous nations. Because Amos knows that Israel will agree with God's judgment against the surrounding nations. And Israel's likely to agree because of the bad blood, because of the, the conflict in the past, when, when Israel's hearing Amos' message and Amos is talking about all of the wickednesses, uh, the wickedness of, the, of its neighbors, Israel is going to agree. They're going to say, yes, they are wicked. Yes, they should be judged. See, Israel here is desiring God's judgment be poured out on others. It's desiring God's judgment be poured out on its neighbors. And often, often we can find ourselves being like that in our own lives, right? It's really easy for us to desire judgment and justice for others where we think we should deserve only mercy, right? We should be given second chances. I should be given a second chance. I should be given mercy, but, but others deserve judgment, God's wrath. Well, that's what Israel's saying here. And Israel pronounces, or, or and Amos pronounces seven judgments. And not accidentally, Judah is the seventh judgment, right? Judah being the, 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 the kingdom that Amos is from, right? Amos' kingdom, Israel's counterpart, where, where the other two tribes of Israel uh, make up. And Judah is the seventh, uh, the seventh nation that, that Amos pours out, or that Amos describes God's judgment on. And in the Bible, that, that number seven comes up a lot, right? It's, it's the number of, of completion. And so when Israel's hearing this, they think, okay, good. Amos is done. He's done talking about God's judgment. He's judged all those, those other nations, and he's judged Judah. It's the seventh. But Amos isn't done, Right? And I think Amos, Amos starts his, his, his book and starts his message this way to provide, to, 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 to pull Israel in, to pull his audience in, and then shock them when he turns the message on them. Because they're going to agree with, with God's judgment and God's wrath being poured out on all others. But then we enter the next section, chapters 3 through 6. That's where the, the, the passage that Josh just read for our call to worship begins, that God is punishing Israel. And Amos' declaration of God's judgment against Israel is three times longer than his declaration against any of the other nations. So Israel, who, who was hearing God, Amos' message of God's judgment, and they were thinking, okay, great, God is judging all of our enemies. This seems really good. Right? This seems really good. Israel's sitting there saying, cool, our, our economy's strong, our military's strong, and now we're hearing a message that God is going to judge all of our enemies. This is great. 
But Amos flips the story and he brings God's and he brings the declaration of God's judgment against Israel. And it is more intense than God's than, than the declaration of God's judgment against any of the other nations. And if you have your Bibles, look there in, in Amos chapter three, verse one, when Amos kind of flips the script on Israel. He says, listen to this message that the Lord has spoken against you Israelites, against the entire clan that I brought from the land of Egypt. I have known only you out of all the clans of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together without agreeing to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when it has no prey? Does a young lion growl from its lair unless it has captured something? Does a bird land in a trap on the ground if there is no bait for it? Does a trap spring from the ground when it has caught nothing? If a ram's horn is blown in a city, aren't people afraid? If a disaster occurs in a city, hasn't the Lord done it? Indeed, the Lord God does nothing without revealing his counsel to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken who will not prophesy? And he brings the message of his judgment against Israel. And his judgment against Israel is more intense and, more, and, and stronger than the judgment against any of the nations. And, and the main reason why is unlike any of the other nations, Israel is God's chosen people. So their offense their offense is so bad, not just because of what they've done. It's because of, it's first, it's, it's, half of it is because of what they've done. But the biggest part is because of who they've done it against. It's who they've done it against. Who, it's not just that they've rebelled, it's who they have rebelled against. They have rebelled against the God that made a covenant promise to them. See, Amos presents the picture of Israel as a people who have broken their covenant with God. They have not held up their end of the deal. They have not held up their end of the covenant. The God that led them out of Egypt the two, that walked to, to, the two that walked together, as 3 verse 3 said. God is saying, I, I am your God, and you have rebelled against me. See, I think, I think one thing we see clearly in the book of Amos is God is sovereign over all the nations. See, God doesn't just bring judgment on Israel. He's sovereign over all the nations, even the nations that worship the pagan gods. God is sovereign over. God rules over. Right? God, doesn't, God doesn't look at, 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 um, at the surrounding nations and say, well, they're outside of my jurisdiction. No, God is sovereign over all the earth and all the people. But God has a special covenant relationship with Israel. And Israel has broken that covenant. See, last, last week, Josh Womble gave a message out of Hosea. And Hosea and Amos are very similar. 
in that they, they deal with the covenant failures of Israel. They deal with the covenant failures of Israel. But the image we get is different. See, the image that Hosea presents is that of an unfaithful woman, right? Israel as an unfaithful woman. But the image that Amos gives is that of a hypocrite. And Amos calls out the hypocrisy of Israel. Remember, Israel is, is, is extremely wealthy in this time. And he accuses Israel's wealthy of, of mistreating the poor, and particularly forcing the poor to, to enter into slavery and then denying them legal rights. And then Amos goes on and he draws parallels here to, to how Egypt once forced the nation of Israel uh, into slavery. And God had delivered Israel from Egypt and, and Israel went on to become just like Egypt. They became the very thing that God had delivered them from. They turned from their God and began worshiping other gods. They turned from the ways of their gods and the ways of their God and followed the examples of the pagan nations. And they became hypocrites, claiming to be right with God, claiming to be religious and doing the opposite. See, God called Israel to be set apart from all the nations of the earth, right? We saw that from the beginning when God's promise to Abraham, when God tells Abraham that his people will be set apart. But instead of living like a people set apart, Israel had become just as wicked, if not more wicked than all the other nations. And for this reason, God is going to judge Israel. We see that in three, chapter three, verse two. I have known only you out of all the clans of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. See, Israel, were God, Israel was God's chosen people. The people that God knew. And because God, they, were, they were called to be set apart, but they weren't living set apart. They were living like the other nations. And so God is going to judge them. And at the center of Amos's pronouncement of judgment on Israel, we see a song that he writes, right? This is likely written as a song or a poem, and that's in chapter 5, 1 through 17. And it's, it's his lament for Israel. And he laments that Israel has turned from God and Israel is going to be destroyed. And Amos is lamenting this. He is burdened by this. In fact, Amos, the, the word Amos in Hebrew actually means burden, right? And some people think that that wasn't even his original name. That was just the name he was given by his audience because he is burdened, right? I don't, I don't know for sure. That's just the theory. Um, but he is clearly burdened here for Israel, and he is lamenting for Israel. And in the midst of his lament, kind of the, the, the climax of this chapter and the climax of this section really is a call for Israel to seek God and live. And look here in, in, in chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. 
or we're gonna, we're gonna read uh, four through six. It says, seek me, for the Lord says to the house of Israel, seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel or go to Gilgal or journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will certainly go into exile and Bethel will come to nothing. Seek Yahweh and live or he will spread like fire throughout the house of Joseph and it will consume everything with no one at Bethel to extinguish it. And so in the midst of God proclaiming justice, proclaiming justice and wrath against Israel, there is a call for them to seek God and live. I love that. Seek God and live in the midst of judgment. He tells them, Turn from the wicked ways in which you are living. Turn from the injustices in which you are living. And seek God. Don't seek Bethel. Don't seek Gilgal. Seek God and live. That's so good that even in the midst of God's judgment, there is hope, right? That God will deliver those who seek him that God will deliver those who, who turn from their wickedness and turn to him. And in the midst of proclaiming injustice and proclaiming God's judgment against injustice, Amos reminds the people of Israel, turn back to God. And then in the final section, we see Amos sharing his visions of the destruction of Israel. He has five, five visions uh, of Israel's destruction. And the, the first vision is, is the visions of, of Israel being destroyed by, by swarms of locusts, right? And this would, this would sound pretty familiar to the people of Israel. They would, they would recognize this from the Exodus stories. And, 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 and God speaks that way often through, through the prophets when, when talking about his his judgment being poured out. He goes back to those, those plagues against uh, the, the Egyptians. And the first, the first vision is, is that of, of locusts. And the second vision is a, is a vision of fire. And then the third, the third vision is, is a vision of, of a plumb line, like a line that, that's used as a level uh, in building a structure. And the Lord says that he is setting a plumb line among my people and I will no longer spare them. This is in verse nine, uh, chapter seven, verse nine. It says, Isaac's high places will be deserted and Israel's sanctuaries will be in ruined. I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. Jeroboam is the king of Israel at the time. And at this time, one of the, one of the priests at Bethel, he, that's listening to Amos's message. He hears that. He hears that the destruction is coming against the house of Jeroboam. And so he, he plots against Amos. And he's, he sends to Jeroboam and says, Amos is threatening you. So he tries to silence Amos through, through intimidation. Right? But Amos doesn't back down and he continues speaking the words that, that God has given him. The fourth vision, we see a, a basket of summer fruit. And this is a fruit that, 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 that represents 
Israel being, being ripe for God's destruction. And then in the fifth vision, we see the, the, the Lord beside the altar calling out destruction on Israel. And Amos is announcing judgment. So I mentioned, I mentioned one of my favorite Christmas movies, Die Hard. Uh, another good Christmas movie is A Christmas Carol. Now, it comes from you know, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. It's originally written as a play, but, but it, it's one that most of us are familiar with. And, and, in this, and in this novel, in this play, um, you have this man, Ebenezer Scrooge, and his, his business partner, Jacob Marley. And Jacob Marley has died. And yet Scrooge sees a vision of Marley in chains. He, he, he wakes up in the middle of the night and he sees his, his business partner, who's dead. He sees his, his business partner in chains. And he's shown this vision of, of, of Christmas present and then Christmas future and the Christmas past. And the vision of Christmas future shows Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge his death. And that no one will really care when he dies and no one will remember him and, and no one will, uh, will cry at his funeral because of the way that he's living. And he wakes up in that vision and, and re- recognizes the need to turn from the way that he's living, right? And so I think so, in so many of the ways, what Amos is doing here in speaking and showing these visions and sharing these visions against Israel's destructions is he's trying to give a wake-up call to the nation of Israel. And say, wake up from the way in which you are living. Wake up from the idolatrous way that you are living, the hypocritical way that you are living. Because the day of the Lord is coming and God's judgment is coming. See, Amos' hope is, is, is not just sitting there anxiously waiting, like eagerly waiting for God to bring about judgment on Israel. Amos' hope is that Israel will, will see this vision, see the, the warning signs and turn from their way of living and turn back to God. See, Amos, three things. I'm going to end with, with three themes. I'm going to end with three themes of the book of Amos. One is the exposure of religious hypocrisy. Two, the exposure of idolatry. And three, the coming of the day of the Lord. See, Amos is exposing the religious hypocrisy, the people who, who, who claim to be God's people, who claim to be in covenant relationship with God, are treating others with injustice. They are treating others wickedly. They have become greedy, and they have turned from the way of God. See, the problem wasn't that there was no religious activity at all in Israel. The problem was that their religious activity was empty. That, that, that they were doing things with their, with their hands and service with, with their hands, but their hearts were far from God. And, and it reminds me a little bit of a, of a conversation that I had, and I won't mention any names here and hope that this person doesn't listen to the live stream. Uh, <laughs> but if they do, then they can know that I still hold to, to what, I, what I thought then and what I think now. 
But I had a conversation with the guy, it was particularly about, about music and music within the church. And he said, well, you know, if somebody like, isn't a believer, they could still play drums if I need a drummer. And I said, well, no, <laughs> because it's not the act of playing music, it's the worship in the heart that matters, right? See, the problem with Israel was that their act, they had the act. They had the temples built. They had the priests in place, but their hearts did not know God. See, if we, if we in our church services, if we view music just as music, if we, if we view Josh's sermon just as, well, you know, Josh is a good speaker and that's all that really matters. It doesn't really matter how he lives or what his character is. Oh, as long as Andrew's doing good music, I don't, nothing else really matters. The heart doesn't really matter. Well, then we have strayed far from God. We have become hypocrites. You know, Josh made a point earlier. The songs we sang this morning, a lot of people know those songs. A lot of people sing those songs every single year. And they're totally blind to the truth of those songs. They're totally blind to the heart behind those songs. When our, when our worship towards God becomes more about action, less about our heart, we become hypocrites. And the nation of Israel had become a nation of hypocrites, claiming to know God, claiming to love God. And yet, it was empty, and they were an idolatrous people. People filled, whose, whose hearts were filled with greed, not with love for God. But Amos offers a message, not just of judgment, but a message of hope. That those who seek God will live. And in the midst of Amos' pronouncement of judgment, he tells of, of restoration. And that there will be a remnant among Edom and all the nations that will call his name, that will call on his name, and they will be called by the name of God. And so in the midst of his judgment, Amos promises a, a remnant of those who will be spared. Those who seek God will live. And that's still true. That's still true for all of us. For, for any unbeliever in here, well, we need to wake up to a warning, right? That God does not allow unrighteousness to long endure. God does not allow wickedness to long endure, right? And judgment is coming on anyone who does not know God. But the hope comes in this. Anyone who turns from God, anyone who seeks God will live. Anyone who puts their faith in in Jesus Christ, who, who came and died for our sin, who took on that wrath of God on our behalf, the wrath that we deserved. Anyone who puts their faith in the truth of the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ will be spared from the wrath and the judgment of God. The Israel, Israel had become blind to the truth that they knew and the promises of their forefathers they had become blind to. See, they thought, they thought they knew it, but their hearts were far from God. 
Church, I'm looking around this room and, and, I, and I know, I know you. I'm not preaching to a group of strangers. I'm preaching to a group of people that I know. And I know that, that, that you guys and on everyone in this room right now are, are believers and put their faith in, in Jesus. And so let's worship him with the all of ourselves and every action that we do. See, for so many of us who, who come to church every week, it's, it's easy to start falling into the, the motions of, well, I take the Lord's Supper because that's what we do every week. I sing these songs because, because that's what we do every week. And we get into this religious routine. Well, that was the routine that led Israel to destruction if their hearts are not worshiping God, if their hearts are not, not turning to him. So in everything we do, let us worship the true God. Let us worship the one who is deserving of our worship and deserving of our praise. Let us not be the religious hypocrites who, who know how to do all the right things, but our heart is far from God. But let us be a people who worship God in our hearts and in our deeds with our words, with our actions, with the way that we live, with everything that we do. Let us worship and live a life that worship God, worships God. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, the book of Amos and the, the warning that Amos gives, that God is coming to bring a judgment against unrighteousness, that God's is bringing a judgment against Israel. But God, we thank you for the hope and the truth that, that those who turn to you will live, that those who seek you will, will, will live, will be spared from judgment. And God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for um, the, the, the church and our, and our time to, to gather here to study and, and know uh, the truth of your word. We pray these things in your name. Amen.